Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. In reading in a few moments with verse 42. I guess most of you know by now that I was pastor in Newberry for a good many years. Back in the 1980s, there was a Toyota dealership in Newberry, and the owner of that dealership was a Mr. Carter, and he went to Central United Methodist Church, which was just kind of across the corner from our church. One Sunday morning, the pastor that they had then was talking in his sermon about the uh, need to live in such a way that you can do the most good, and he was saying if Jesus lived today, Jesus would probably need an automobile, but he wouldn't ride around in a Mercedes or a BMW. And his point was he'd you know, get the, what he could get by with. Well, as, after church was over, there was a man walking out by Mr. Carter, and he said, if Jesus were here today, he wouldn't be riding around in a Mercedes or a BMW, and he wouldn't be riding around in a Toyota either. And Mr. Carter said, he wouldn't. What do you think he would be riding in? And the man said, in a Honda. And he said, Mr. Carter said, what in the world makes you think he would be driving a Honda? And he says, it says right clearly in the book of Acts, they were all together in one accord. <laughs> we're going to be thinking about fellowship today, so we're going to be thinking about being in one accord and, you know, being together in the same place, having the same mind, the same idea. Now, the uh, passage that we're going to look at talks a little bit about fellowship, but uh, as it talks about fellowship, we're going to have to uh, get a little... Uh, idea of what fellowship is. Fellowship in the, in the biblical sense is the idea that we are brought together in a unity and that unity is, makes us first one with God. We have a, a close relationship with God and because we have a close relationship with God, we have a close relationship with one another. And that's, that happens because of the work of Christ and what he has done to bring us to God and to bring us to one another. So our fellowship is something that helps us demonstrate our oneness in Christ. You were listening when Brad read that passage of Scripture. Jesus prayed that we might have a oneness in our lives. And as we need a, a oneness in our lives, we get it from Christ. As we need a oneness in our church life, we get this from Christ as well. So these are the things that, that make a, a difference. Now, before I read the verses we're going to look at this morning, I need to give you a little bit of background, and you, you can look at this in the Scripture. We're going to be looking at, in chapter 2, in a few verses earlier, but think about what Simon Peter did. He preached the first Christian sermon, and as he preached the first Christian sermon, if you look up in verse 22, this is part of what he said. Men of Israel... Listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep his hold on him. 
Now, look over at verses 38 and 39. No, excuse me, 37 and 38. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, What shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Then down in verse 41, Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So Simon Peter gave this message, and as he gave this message, he preached this sermon, he said to the people that were gathered to listen to it, You put Jesus to death. You had a hand in this. You know, it was really the Romans who crucified him. That was done by the Jewish religious leaders, but, but all of the people had a hand in it. And you know what? You and I had a hand in it as well. We put Jesus to death. Why? Because of our sin. Because of our rebellion against God, our going our own way, our ignoring God's place in our lives, our breaking His commandments, we put Jesus to death. But Simon Peter reminded them that God raised him from the dead and made him alive forevermore. And, and then notice what it said, they were cut to their hearts. In other words, they got it. They understood that it was their sins that put Jesus to death. And they asked the question, what can we do? What do we need to do? They, they really wanted to know. And Simon Peter said, you've got to repent. You've got to turn from your sin. You, you've got to change your mind that you're all right in God's sight because you're a sinner in God's sight. You've got to change your mind that God is going to pass over sin and not pay any attention. You've got to realize that it's something serious. It's something deadly. You've got to turn away from it, and then you've got to accept Jesus. And be, then you, when you accept Jesus, you're baptized to show that you have accepted Him. You acknowledge Him before others. So the people did this. And then, did you notice there it says about 3,000 were added to their number? Now, that many people came into the church at its very beginning. Now, what was their life going to be like? And that's where we get this passage. Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 42. This is what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, a lot of times when we talk about fellowship in the church, we're talking, you know, people think potluck dinners and ice cream socials. But fellowship in the church biblically means something far, far deeper than that. That's just one, one tiny aspect of it. Fellowship of the church starts with becoming a believer. You have to come to the place where you realize that Jesus is Savior, that you have sinned, 
and that you need a Savior. And so you accept Jesus into your life, and that makes a real change in your life. That's where it starts. You, you see, it's not just about our getting together sometimes. It's not about our, just our cooperating on things at sometimes. You know, there can be agreement. You can be in accord. You can, you know, cooperate with one another, being together in things. And that can be either good or bad. You know, crooks can be in one accord and cooperate together and go rob a bank. What makes the difference is being changed, of, of having the power of God within, and that togetherness is something that He's put together Himself, and He uses it for His glory. So conviction and confession of sin opens the way to this common life. What happens to us is sometimes we think, okay, I've got my rights, you know, I'm a really good person, I've done all of these good works, and what happens to us, we end this up in kind of a jealous competition. I must be okay because I'm a little better than you are. And that's not the way it works at all. That's never going to build fellowship. But when we think of our sins, then we're brothers and sisters in Christ then we begin to develop a closeness to one another. You know, the fellowship of the early church came from the fact that the people that heard that first Christian message realized, I'm a sinner, I crucified Jesus, and there's nothing I can do about my sin. They came to the place where they realized that only by trusting in Jesus could they be forgiven of their sin. Could they have eternal life? Could they have any standing at all before God? And so they were drawn into a faith-love relationship with Christ. And because they were drawn into a faith-love relationship with Christ, they were also drawn into a relationship with each other. John, in 1 John chapter 1, wrote these words. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, God, Yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if the truth is in us, if we realize that we are sinners, then Christ makes us right with God, And that helps us to be right with one another. Now, the fellowship in the early church grew. These people came together, and it it was just natural to do certain things that made that fellowship grow stronger and deeper. So what were some of the things that they did? Well, they listened to the apostles' teaching. They heard the apostles share about Jesus, tell what Jesus did, tell what Jesus taught. They learned together. And one of the ways we enhance our fellowship is to learn together, whether it's in Sunday school, whether it's in something like salt, whether it's, you know, learning a skill together to use for the benefit of others. You know, it's learning together. And then I finally got to it, eating together. You know, that's what we think about a lot of times with fellowship. That's one thing that is a part of it. Why do you think God made it that way? I think because it's us human beings we 
enjoy eating together, and there's something about eating together that helps break down the barriers between us. Yeah, share a meal with somebody, you kind of relax, you share things, you get to know one another. Do that several times, and you get to the place where you, you feel like you could open up with this other person. You, you can share some of the things that are really going on in your life. And, and that produces a, a relationship where you can bear one another's burdens and celebrate each other's accomplishments and the good things that come into life. So th this eating together helps to, helps to bring that about. And then praying together. It's a blessing to have someone pray for you. It's a blessing to pray for someone else. It, if you share your prayer request with somebody else and you really open your heart and share, then that's going to make a difference in the closeness that you have. We draw closer to one another when we pray for one another. And then this sharing means that we share in the different life that we have together as believers. And we share to help one another, and we share to help others. And as we open ourselves to receive and as we open ourselves to give, then that just helps to bring us close together. And then we worship together. You know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to be able to worship together. Sometimes we, yes, we worship together individually by ourselves, but that doesn't replace worshiping together in the body of Christ. When my wife Joy had a cancer and a stem cell transplant, she was out of church for several months. After she got out of the hospital, got back home, she still couldn't be around people for a while because her immune system was so compromised. And she would watch one of the churches on TV, get out the hymnal we had at home, sing along with the hymns, and she, I'd come home and she said, can I do that? And she said, the tears would just be running down my cheeks because I was worshiping by myself. I couldn't worship with my church family. There's just something very precious and dear, being able to worship with one another, to join the throng of God's people, and to shout Hosanna to His name. It's just, just something that builds us up, brings us closest together, and I'm sure pleases God. Such fellowship produces church growth. Jesus, in John chapter 13, said, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. We show that we're disciples of Jesus by loving one another, being concerned for one another, caring for one another. And, and when other people see that, they're drawn to Christ. That, that's kind of what was happening in the early church. You know, they were together, they were having this fellowship, and it says the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You know, when people can see a dynamic Christian fellowship where the people really care for one another, it makes a huge difference in making us attractive to the people who feel needs in their lives. And just the opposite is true. You know, church that's got a lot of conflict going on isn't going to grow. Who wants to be around coldness, bitterness, selfishness, tension? Well, that's not attractive. 
We want to be where there's love and peace and joy. A certain organization did a survey to kind of find out the, the love quotient, as they called it, in churches and in the effect it would have. And they interviewed over 8,000 church members, came from 36 different denominations, and they found out that in the fast-growing churches, there was more love between the members and more love for the guests. In declining churches, there was always less, less love. And that was true no matter what the doctrine of the church was, no matter what its denomination was, no matter what its location was. Jesus put it really clearly, didn't he? By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we love one another. It helps our church growth. So what can we do to enhance our fellowship together? Well, first of all, you need to recognize your sin if you've never done that. Turn from it and cast yourself on the mercy of God. Have you ever been cut to the heart because of your sin? Really come to the place where you realize, I've broken God's commands. I've fallen short of His glory. I've done the things He said not to do. Have you ever been cut to the heart and realized, what am I going to do? I need a Savior. Sometimes people have been in church for years and have never done that. Have never come to the place where they realize that me personally, I have sinned and I need a Savior. Start genuine Christian fellowship is having fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, of having Him forgive your sins and put you in right relationship with God. That's the start. And then understand what biblical fellowship is and what it's not. Not just something surface, but something very deep, meaningful, and lasting. You make a commitment to share with others that you're going to be a part of the group. You know, some people want to just come, be by themselves and worship, go, that's it. They, they never are a part of the fellowship. They never share themselves with others. And as you're sharing yourself with others, you need to learn their names, learn something about them, get to the place where you really know them, share information about yourself. You know, that's easier for some people than others, but all of us need to do it. Pray for others. Pray with others. That pulls us together in fellowship. Love others as Christ has loved you. Remember what Jesus said? The second commandment is, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your fellow church member as yourself. And participate with others in worship, doing ministry, sharing the good news, learning and growing. Now, you look at that very last thing up at the top, Fellowship, worship, ministry, evangelism, training, they are the five functions of the church. And see the other four, as we participate in them together, help build what we're talking about today. Genuine Christian fellowship. If you want to see our church grow, if we want to see our church grow, 
then we must be a genuine, loving fellowship. What does that take? There must be a conscious effort. Now, don't miss that, a conscious effort. It doesn't just happen. You've got to make it happen. You've got to make the decision to make it happen. A conscious effort to notice others, especially new members, and especially our guests. You know what's easy for us to do? We get in church, we learn some of the people, we get comfortable, and that's who we interact with. And we need to have a, a wide view, panoramic view. See everybody, especially the new members, especially the guests. Show them love and acceptance. Let them know in one way or another that you care. And then involve them. Invite them to something. Get them involved in something. I got a good illustration of that that we're going to share with you this morning. It's Sandy Mott. Sandy has gotten real active in our church. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, we voted to make her our Sunday school director. And she's going to do a good job at that. She's taking it seriously. She's already studying it. But Sandy is here and involved because somebody else did just the things I've been talking about. And I've asked Sandy to come and, and share that with us this morning. Sandy? <clears throat> Good morning. A lot of you know me, a lot of you don't. Uh, I came here in 2005 to the Columbia area. 2005 was an eventful year for me. I quit my job, put my house in Gainesville, Florida on the market, and proceeded to prepare to move to Columbia in order to be here with my youngest daughter and her family. I had no job no place to live, and essentially not enough money to move here. Funny thing happened after I let God take over. Within eight weeks, I sold my home for the full asking price after a bidding war, found a place to live in West Columbia, and obtained a job at Lexington Medical Center the same day I closed on my new home. Little did I know God had even better things in store for me. Turns out the home I ended up in in West Columbia was between a Lexington County deputy sheriff and a Baptist preacher. My kids laughingly said I had been placed between God and the law and I now had no chance of misbehaving. <laughs> a lot of you know the Baptist preacher. He was the pastor here until last year. Yes, I ended up moving next door to Charles Wilson. Talk about a connection. Charles and his wife, Pat, were very nice and not pushy. They had invited me to attend Holland Avenue, and I sort of did. I visited and eventually joined the church. I must admit I didn't want to become involved in a church and found every excuse I had I could find to not even come to church. Mostly I relied on my crazy work schedule and the fact that I had trouble hearing what was going on and that's what kept me away from church. One day when I was talking to Pat and lamenting that I had found it hard to hear, she said the right side of the balcony had excellent acoustics and I should give it a try. I did and I was able to hear better. So I start, started sneaking in the front side door. 
at about the time that church started. And then I would sneak out the same door when services were over. I tried my best not to interact with anyone. Then one day I got curious about what was in the rest of the church. I was going to walk around and learn where things were. As I came down the piano side of the sanctuary, there was a very nice lady standing there by the piano. She introduced herself, said she was a choir member who had noticed me sitting in the balcony and that she would like to invite me to Sunday school. I said, sure, I'd like that, knowing full well I would never attend Sunday school. Well, Miss Helen Twitty had other plans. She told me that the next Sunday she would meet me right there by the piano at 9.15. I told her I'd be there all the time I was thinking, fat chance. Well, I would have left it at that, but during the week I got the nicest handwritten note from Miss Twitty. Wow, she thought enough of me to connect to me with a real, honest-to-gosh, handwritten reminder to meet her by the piano the following Sunday. How could I turn that down? I showed up that Sunday and have pretty much shown up every Sunday since. The ladies from the winsome class where Helen was the teacher was welcoming and right off got me involved in the activities of the class. Wow, what blessings have been poured out on me because Helen took the opportunity to step up and invite me to Sunday school. If she hadn't taken the opportunity to connect with me, I might still be sneaking in and sneaking out. I can only, it only takes one person to connect us to Jesus. And I thank God for the opportunities I have been given to connect others to him. Thank you. Thank you, Sandy. We appreciate you sharing that. It just illustrates so well what it means to connect others to Jesus and so build the fellowship of the church. You know, the church is the body of Christ. We're not just people who cooperate together. There's more to it than that. We are community in the deepest sense of the word. Community. We have a common purpose what God has called us to do with those other functions of the church, but we also share a common life. And because we share a common life, we get to know one another, we get to uh, care for one another, and we come to the place where we do things for one another and we receive things from one another. We become family and share that community, share that fellowship invitation this morning is simple. Have you ever come to the place where you have been cut to the heart about your sin and wonder what should I do? What you should do is call on Jesus to forgive you of your sin and to give you eternal life. Maybe you need to do that today. Maybe you've been in church a lot, but you've never done that but the Spirit is telling you this morning, you need to do that so that you can have eternal life. 
You turn from your sin, and then you come and present yourself for membership so that you can be baptized. Baptism doesn't save you, but it gives you the opportunity to say, yes, I have accepted Jesus as my Savior and been forgiven of my sin. Or maybe you've been attracted to the warm fellowship that's in this church because it is good and it is strong. And you would like to be a part here. And you would come and place your membership here among this congregation. Or perhaps you just want to help our church to continue to be the kind of fellowship that God can use as we connect with one another and as we connect others with Jesus. An invitation hymn this morning is number 470.